Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. The air was brisk and invigorating. It had a just after a spring rain smell and feel. And yet there was no spring and there was no rain. It was another day in Eden, the garden of perfection. The temperature was perfect. It was not too cold. It was not too hot. It was not too humid or too dry. It was just, well, perfect. A gentle breeze was blowing. You could hear it in the leaves of the tree. And then another sound it was the sound of him. The sound of him in the garden. He was coming to meet face to face again as he did each day. It was God the Holy. Would everyone say those three words with me? God the Holy. We're going to do it two more times. God the Holy. One more time. God the Holy. Thank you. It was God the Holy. Holy is always more. Holy is always beyond. The God who is always more than can be comprehended, more than can be expressed, more love, more knowledge, more holy. The God who is, who was, and will always be more. Each day they were filled by the encounter with God, the holy, and yet each day there was somehow more to be received. Each day was complete and full and whole, and yet every next moment in his presence was somehow more completing, more filling, more wonderful, more animating, more. How could it be possible? How can you be full and yet be filled again? Were they becoming more in the very image of this holy more? Were they being transformed? Was each encounter increasing somehow their capacity for more of him? Yet each day and each encounter with God the Holy made them. He made them who were filled even more and even more full. Only holy can fill. Only holy can make whole. Only divine holiness transforms the human to wholeness. The one who is the am. Who is the am. What other words were there? Eden and him and them. The only perfect domain of worth and substance the world has ever known worth and wholeness in the purest form humanity would experience, unbroken encounter with him. The shape and substance of human worth from him, through him, and to him. And it was unchallenged by any other voice or any other opinion. Worth shaping, worth shape, worthship, worship. For this all too brief space and time, mankind lived in an environment of uncontested worship. It happens in its purest form, 
when God is the sole source of human worth and identity. Everything else is just a deception. Then the serpent hissed. There was now a new opinion. Deception succeeded. Fear was birthed. Mankind hid. Sin entered. Death now ruled. It was the last day in Eden. The garden of holy was abandoned by man and God. Mankind's endless exposure to the holy more of God had previously always left them with the awareness they too were more. Only worship of the holy satiates the cry of the human heart for enoughness and more. Only his presence can fill. Their capacity and hunger for the holy more of him was now forever a part of the human soul. It was built into the very essence of who they were. There was a place in them for more, a place in them for God, the holy more. But now the real problem and core of human pain surfaces. Humanity was made for him, designed for more, and now relegated to a world of less. Their world was no longer the flourishing garden of more, but an arid wasteland of never enough. Now begins the aimless wandering search of satisfying the appetite for more in anything and everything that might appear to offer more only to discover again and again and again. It is all deception. Anybody ever been there? You see, humankind is designed in a manner that only God the Holy can fully satisfy the hunger of the soul for more. But without holy, nothing is ever enough. Would you say that back to me, please? But without holy, nothing is never enough. Would you just look, not foolishly or disarming social comedy or whatever, look in all seriousness at the person sitting next to you and say these words, hear me, but without holy, nothing is never, ever enough. Say that, please. But without holy, nothing is ever enough. They abandon the garden of God and the only things they take with them from the garden, listen to me closely, the only things they take with them from the garden are the things that God never intended to be there in the first place. Deception, fear, and hiding. These three now are the new trinity of worth and worship that mankind exchanged for the trinity they had known and worshiped and walked with every day. Deceived as to who they are, full of fear they will never be enough and hiding from God, from others, and from themselves. Deception and fear and hiding. But God was not done. He would bring mankind back to true, unhidden worship, even though the journey would be long and painful and the price to be paid would be far greater than anyone could possibly conceive. The death of the Son of God. 
the quest to recover worship would begin here for both God and man. Mankind would make it back to unhidden worship, although they would never make it back to Eden. But for God, it was never about life in the garden. It was always about life with the gardener. And so it would be nearly 4,000 years later, very early on a Sunday morning in another garden just outside an empty tomb that God the Holy would return. He was mistaken for the gardener. Heaven laughed. It really was no mistake. The gardener had indeed returned. Now we begin our own quest, exploring the journey to unhiddenness, worship, and unhiding. One cannot exist without the other. Holy. I was standing over there singing another version of those lyrics. Holy, 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 holy more. Did, did that land in your heart right there? Holy, holy, holy more. Second Corinthians chapter 10, Paul is writing in a, in a different context, but these verses I'm about to read are fairly plucked out of the setting of him arguing with the Corinthians about their attitudes toward who would lead and all of that. These verses stand on their own and listen to them closely. Verse three, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. I would love to have time this morning to go to Ephesians six and talk to you about the weapons God has given us. And I met. The weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful to the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God. We are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Listen closely. What are the building blocks to this fortress of resistance to God? They're listed here, it's speculations, lofty things, and every thought. Speculations. You know, it's not hard to substitute deception for speculations. Lofty things where fear predominates our mind. And then hiding. We raise them up. What are the building blocks of the fortress? Isn't it amazing? that when holy begins to crowd our space a little bit, the human response is to erect a fortress that can resist the rescuer. Please hear me this morning. The greatest battles we'll fight are the voices of that person you look at in the mirror every morning. 
You see, because the adversary doesn't need to keep speaking to you again and again and again. Once he convinces us of deception and fear and hiding, deceived as to who I am, fearful I'm not enough, and then I must hide because I can't let God or anybody else see that I'm not enough and I don't know what's going on. And these items become the building blocks of our fortress that we peek out from behind. And God said, I've come to knock those walls down and destroy that fortress. You have no reason to build a defense against me. But you see, that's the ultimate, that trick of the adversary. To convince us as he did them that God's best interest may not be on my behalf. That's still the whisper, it's the stamp of the DNA. Can I ask you this morning, because that little narrative I wrote is backed by about 25 specific references to scripture. I didn't stick the scripture in, I just told the story. We look for holy more, we look for more in all the wrong places, but what if we could get back to understanding that capacity, that that hunger that has been built into my soul is a hunger only for him, it's a hunger for more. But beloved, we will seek to satisfy that in wealth, materialism, relationships, sexuality, our own power, please hear me, to determine the essence of who we are and our own gender because we trade the goodness of God for our godness to determine what is good. We push the holy more out of the picture and then wonder why we have a nagging hunger in our soul. And I'm not talking about people who don't know the Lord. I'm talking about us, I'm talking about Tom. The battle with that hunger and deception and fear and hiding doesn't end until we see him face to face, but we don't lose. The good news is, he says he has given us weapons. He says our weapons are strong, just listen. I won't read you the scripture, but from the book of Ephesians, hear me this morning. Can you hear me up here, okay? Our weapons, our truth, Paul would be looking at a Roman centurion when he would write these six articles down. Everybody believes that, it seems good, because the way he describes them was the armament of that day. King James has a girdle, it was actually a huge sort of belt that fashioned around the middle section of the torso, and all the other pieces of armor would hang on that. So he said, that, that's truth and a breastplate of righteousness, our feet shod, our shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace, a shield of faith, a helmet of salvation and deliverance, and finally a sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. But I don't wanna talk about, I don't wanna talk about the pieces of the armor. I don't wanna talk about the belt, the breastplate, the helmet, the shoes and the sword. I want to talk about what Paul was writing to equip us against. Forget the pieces of the, of the armor, that's where I have taught for a thousand years, 
but note the places of attack. He says, you need to have at the center of it all this big belt of truth. Why? That word truth, as we've said, means unhiddenness because it is still the number one attack of the adversary to say, you need to hide. And so we need right here in the center of it all, truth, the truth that pushes us to step out of hiding from where we retreat in our fortresses. Paul wrote both of these and he says, the weapons we have are not of the flesh, our battle is not of the flesh. And he says, the adversary is going to attack you just like he did in the Garden of Eden and he's gonna try to get you to hide. That second piece of, is the orderedness of God, the righteousness that comes to us. And the first one is truth, I need to hide. Righteousness is, I need to take things in my own hands and determine what the order is for my life. Peace is that word that means fully satiated. It is exactly what it means. In other words, just like you finished visiting Julian's food truck or trailer, and he's fixed you a whole plate full of those amazing roadside tacos that are addicting. And you walk away thinking, whew, can't eat another bite. You know, that's really the definition behind peace, that sense of fullness that, man, I'm just, I'm good. But you don't get there if there's this nagging hollow place for more that you continue to try and fill because the only thing that can fill it is him. Not your job, so stop it. Husbands, quit coming home and being miserable because you didn't get the promotion or you didn't secure that next contract or you didn't ascend the hill of vocation and stand waving a triumphant flag of success because that's not where more will ever be satisfied. Men of God, get in touch with him. I'm not saying abandon masculinity. We have a tragedy in culture across the planet that men are somehow pushing aside masculinity. And I'm not saying dominating stupid male ego. I'm talking about men that stand up and say, okay, I'm not gonna live to give my expression of ego in the workplace or in, on the highway running somebody off the road. Don't shout me down. <laughs> I just saw two men put their hand down like that. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Ladies, wives, I didn't notice one wife do this. That is so gracious of you. Man, it won't be found there. Lead the way. Make a determination. My moreness is going to be found in you, Father. And at that moment, then you begin to order everything underneath that. There will be incredible disorder. Let's keep going. Faith. Faith is ultimately believing God is. Everybody say that, please. Faith is believing God is. Why? Because he's the God that first said, I am. The only response to am is is. Hebrews eleven six says, but without faith, it's impossible to please God. He that comes to God must believe, watch, he is. Why is it so important? Everybody looked at me because if we don't have the faith that he is, the next time the God who can doesn't, we're gonna be knocked off our horse. But faith is not primarily believing God can. 
faith that believes he is knows that God can, but even when God can, and for whatever reason he doesn't, our faith is still right intact. We don't get knocked off our horse because the God who can doesn't, because again, I want to say our first reference to God is not you, hey, Father, I came to worship you because you are the God who can. No, you are the God who am. And you are my am. Everything that I am comes from you. There is no more out there that can satisfy me. My brothers and sisters that I'm thanking God we get to talk to, addiction is one of those glaring evidences. It's not the only one. It's just the most obvious one. And there's not a person sitting here, and there's a bunch here today that would stand up and say, I looked for more in every chemical stimulant that I could find, and it was never enough. That more would last for four or five hours, and then the deception would break down, and the serpent would laugh, and I would be trapped in a fortress against God. God says, I'm coming back. And I'm knocking the walls down. The ones you've built out of fear and deception and hiding. Salvation is the deliverance. He says, the devil is going to attack you at the ability of God to deliver you. And then finally, I love, it says the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Everybody say the sword of the spirit. We think that means the sword that comes from the spirit. It's the spirit sword. Here's the good news. When the spirit shows up with his sword, he doesn't hand it to you. What we forget is there's a metaphorical breakdown in that sixth item. Please hear me. We say, I got the sword of the spirit and we hold our hand out. Put your hand down, it's not in your hand. Because the good news is, when you get the sword of the spirit, you get the spirit with the sword. And if I need anything, I need holy, Spirit swinging his sword. I don't want his sword in my hand. Does anybody get what I'm talking about? Holy, holy, holy more. Where is the ache for more eating you alive? I've told you my story. And ironically, I didn't see it with clarity of depth until a man was praying for me on the phone and said the innocent words eight weeks ago, Father, just let Tom know holy. God ran a bulldozer through the walls of my fortress at that moment. It all came tumbling down because my more and the appetite was created by the whisper not of a serpent, but by a voice from hell of a Cub Scout leader that said, you're damaged. Don't tell your parents what's happened to you when he molested me again and again and again. Because if you do, they'll put you in a mental institution. Hear the hiss. Hear it? Where's yours? We all have it. And see, I'm not looking to say, see, watch, watch, here's what preachers do. If we ever confess, we want to certainly cast the net of sin across the whole room so I am not the sole sinner standing here. And I get to do that because I'm up front. So I get to say, 
I've confessed, and I'm certain all of you are at least sinners to my same equal. Perhaps worse. I'm not saying any of that. I'm not saying any, I'm not implying anything. I'm implying, where is that recurring thing in your marriage that introduces misery time after time after time? I'll guarantee you it is attached to more. I'll guarantee you that that nagging more comes as a result you're being deceived as to who you are, fearful you're not enough, and there's a reason that passage has 25 or 30 scripture in it. I just didn't, like I said, I just told you the story, I didn't give you the scripture. And then we hide. It's a natural response. Y'all stand up. Thank you. I'm loving these days. I'm loving where I am in life. I'm loving being 64. I about said 63. I just had a birthday. Let's all stand together. Did you know it's funny about human beings? Even asking you to stand because we are humans and this is an earthen vessel. It's sort of how any movement can just sort of distract it. Don't be distracted. And don't lock your eyes on me. Shift your attention, I was going to say slightly above, way above. Keep your eyes open. I'm going to pray right now. Father, may the holy more of your presence invade our hearts, invade our fortress. Mm. Announce loudly that you've shown up today to help us in destruction. We don't think of you as destroying anything because you don't, but you said, I'm here to help you destroy the speculations. I'm here to help you destroy the deceptions, the fears, the hiding places that you have made building blocks of a fortress where you think you need to run and hide from others and from me. You don't. I wanna ask you again, where is the nag for more? Where is that recurring thing? Where is that recurring issue in your soul, in your demeanor that may be causing you through the years to move through relationship after relationship? And I'm not even talking about marriage. I'm just talking about relationship because they seem to can't be sustained. You need a next one because whatever happens here, you exhaust it, yourself, or them. I don't know why I'm picking these things. I don't have a a soul in mind. I do have an amazing testimony from this week of a brother that sort of had a Samson moment where he shook himself and said, Spirit of God. I don't even know that he knew it was that. Things he had seen in Scripture and heard that somehow seemed stoic or fixed or solid, suddenly they were animated and came to life. Suddenly the awakening and that precious refreshing of the heart in such a childlike fashion. Suddenly he begins spouting off everything where he thought he had been hiding and he now just rambling this stuff off that he'd have never trusted a soul with. Reminds me of that woman at the well, doesn't it? She goes running back into the town. She's a woman that has had five husbands and now living with the guy. She meets Jesus and watch this. 
Suddenly, she's not deceived, she's not afraid, and she's not hiding. Suddenly, she doesn't care and runs back into town and shouts the very words that everyone would laugh about. Come see a man I met. Right. But she becomes the first ambassador to worship because she met him at the well and God destroyed her fortresses. She didn't have to hide. She didn't have to be deceived and she didn't have to be afraid. Where is that nagging for a holy more today? We're about to pray and be done here. Let me tell you the prayer that's gonna happen. I need prayer counselors and elders. I need every one of them, not just if your name is on the list for rotation. I need all of you here today. There are gonna be those that step out and walk forward and you're gonna come with your spouse. But not both of you will speak, at least in the beginning. One person's gonna say to this, to a brother or sister right here, I need you to agree with me that the more that nags me, that keeps me in this place of irritation, that God would tear down that stronghold and that the holy more of God would invade my soul and take up the residence that was intended only for him. Remember this? Without holy, nothing is ever enough. I'm looking into the faces of people who I know their soul is screaming yes, who could walk up here, grab a mic. Oh, by the way, speaking of grabbing a mic, was everybody here last week when Lori Chipley walked up here, disproportionate to her personality, and gave a holy more testimony she didn't even know she was giving? She walked up and said, Brenda and I were there at the hospital when they got the report. We've done the surgery. We've taken as much of your liver as you can. We can't take anymore where the other cancer is, but we can treat this. It's uncurable, but we have the ability to give you the drugs that will sustain your life for probably quite some time. And so they accepted that. She talked about that right here last week. She asked us to pray for her because on Tuesday morning after Memorial Day, they would be going for more tests and have to sort of embolden themselves to get ready for the long haul ahead of them to trust the God who is the am, irrespective of the circumstances. But on Wednesday morning, her husband, Chip Chipley, Robert Chipley, he calls me in tears on the phone. They got the report. And as the oncologist sat across from her with tears running down their face, they said, I've, I have to tell you, MRIs, PET scans, blood work, everything. She says, we can't find one trace of cancer. You see, because while we will experience the moment where the God who can does not, we will experience those moments where the God who can does. The holy more of God 
They didn't go in there with an empty soul. They were full. They said, Father, they said the words of Job, even though you slay me, I'm going to love you and worship you. And God's not going to slay them. So I want to ask you today, we're going to pray right here. Don't be fearful. You don't have to come here. You may find somebody out there that you want to agree with in prayer, but that's fine. But don't allow that one element of that trinity of destruction, deception, fear, and hiding. Eject, eject, reject that. And simply say, Father, I need more. I need the holy more. I realized, oh my goodness. You see, please, let me say this. This woman is amazing. She has a sense of worth that is off the chain. I make joke about it, that God partnered me with just the right person. You've heard me make the same joke a thousand times. She entered our relationship and her idea about conflict resolution is if you have a problem, you have a problem. Her statement is, I wonder what their problem is. Me, on the other hand, entering the relationship with where I came from, every time I have conflict, I say, I wonder what I did wrong. And I make the joke that we have a great marriage because every time we have conflict, we're both wondering the same thing, what I did wrong. <laughs> so it's always a good starting place. But what is not a joke is that through the years of growing holy more, she is not enough. You say, well, that's not a nice way to speak about your wife. God never intended for her to be my enoughness. She is not a substitution for him. And I will not be to her what she needs me to be for her as long as I'm making her my enoughness and her my more. If you are leaning on your spouse and blaming every misery you have, they're not your more. God didn't build them to be your more. He did design them to be a partner in redemption, redeeming, that's an important word, of calling out the possibilities, but only God is the more. And you can keep making your spouse absolutely miserable by trying to make them God, little g. They never will be, but we do it. And how do we do it? We blame them. What does blame have to do anything? We tend to blame the most powerful person we perceive can alter the circumstances of our life. And so Eve would blame God. God said, that's good, I can handle it, I'll settle that. Blame me. He said, load me up with blame. Well, God, what are you gonna do with it? I'm gonna take it right to the cross and I'm gonna kill it. Amen. And that's what he did. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.